I'm so glad that we get to uh, celebrate those rites of passage as a, as a church family, recognizing the hard work of our students. And uh, come September, we'll pray for them all again as they begin another arduous year of study and preparation for the next leg of the journey. Welcome, church. Good morning to you all. So glad to have you here on this sunny Sunday morning. You could be in a thousand other places this morning, but you're here worshiping the Lord together with us. Isn't that a good thing? It's a great thing. Glad you're here. Thank you for coming. We turn our attention this morning to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Uh, Our series takes us to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app ready, please find Galatians chapter 5. In the previous two chapters, in Galatians 3 and 4, we looked at Paul's uh, appeal to us to resist the seductive and false teaching that sometimes creeps into the church. Sometimes it creeps in very slowly, but creep it does. And back in the day, back in Paul's day, Judaizers were making their way from Jerusalem to Galatia. And they were trying to convince these new believers in Galatia, these new Gentile believers, that they had to become Jews first before they could become Christians. They were teaching that in in order to be genuinely saved by faith in Jesus, that men also had to be circumcised, and everyone had to observe the traditions and rituals of the Old Testament. Well, some of the undiscerning Galatian baby Christians were bamboozled by this teaching, by this teaching about another gospel. And you remember, do you remember how vehemently Paul opposed this idea of some other gospel? As we started Galatians chapter 1 in verse 6, he said, I'm astonished, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, look, don't be fooled by anyone. No matter who it is, no matter how they come, uh, uh, even with the best intentions, don't be fooled. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's it. That is the gospel. There is no other gospel. And Paul is, Paul is sharp on that point. And so now as we come to Galatians 5, he's making another direct appeal. You must, you must resist this false teaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ because those who turn to the law for salvation are turning away from Christ, they're giving up their freedom, and they are cutting themselves off from salvation. So he's making another very forceful appeal along similar lines that he's been teaching on now for four chapters. So hence, Paul warns and encourages his readers, like us, not to dump or discard or distort or ditch the gospel. Stay true. 
to the gospel of Christ. So let's have a look together at the text. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Please follow along. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Yeah, I think he's a little upset. You know? <laughs> not, a, not a very Canadian thing to say to somebody, is it? We, we're just so polite, we would never say that. I wish those who unsettle you would... No, but no matter how you look at it, legalism is a dangerous enemy. And if nothing else, I think that's what Paul is getting across, especially by his last comment. This is an important deal. This is very, very, very important. Legalism is a dangerous enemy. And when you abandon the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, you lose big. You lose really, really big. For one thing, you lose your freedom. First verse in Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So the image of a yoke is not difficult to understand. The yoke is a symbol of, of slavery. It's a symbol of servitude. It's a... It stands for someone or something else that has control of your life. That's the image of the yoke in Scripture. In Leviticus chapter 26, I think it is, uh, when, when uh, God delivered Israel from Egypt, it speaks of it as breaking the yoke, breaking the yoke of slavery. When we trusted in Jesus Christ for our salvation, the yoke of slavery to sin was broken and we were empowered and welcomed to put on the yoke of, of Christ, which is a different yoke altogether. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is inviting us to put on the yoke of obedience here. 
So we, we trade the yoke of slavery and servitude for the yoke of obedience and blessing. Does that make sense? Good. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. So Paul goes from the declarative, you know, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He makes that statement, and then he brings his appeal on the tail end of that. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Why would you want to do that? Now that you've been set free, why would you want to go back and give up your freedom? His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So we no longer need the external force of the law imposing itself upon us in order for us to do God's will. Why? Because we have the Word of God written upon our hearts now, not just upon stone. And we have the the internal leading and fullness of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to lead us into all truth. So we don't need the external law necessarily in that regard. Through His death and resurrection... Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, and He set us free to obey Him. I think in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we love that verse, don't we? There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. But I mean, look at the context of that verse. Look at the context. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But why? How do... How was that condemnation removed? Verse 2, the law of, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Oh, Christ died to sin to set us free from the law of sin and death. We're free. He set us free. Thank you, Lord. But that does not mean, <laughs> at the same time, that does not mean that we get to do whatever we want. And live however we want. Show up at church on Sunday and affirm the forgiveness of God. No. That's not what it's talking about. This means that Christ has set us free from the Old Testament Jewish sacrificial system. And the necessity of keeping all these Old Testament rituals and traditions. But we're still obligated. We are still obligated to keep the moral law of God. Right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Is that still in vogue today? You better believe it. Do not, do not covet your neighbor's wife. Isn't that, isn't that still part of... Yeah. And where is that found? It's in the moral law of God. It's in the Old Testament. So you can't just jettison everything. I'm free. I, I can do whatever I want. God knows me. God forgives me. God will... Well, yes, that's true, but that's not the attitude with which we can approach Living by grace. There's still this uh, impending obligation to obey the Lord. In the midst of all this talk about freedom and grace in Galatians, Paul will still say in Galatians 5.14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Where does that come from? The Old Testament. (laughs) That's the moral law of God that is still functioning, is still operative in our lives. So so being free in Christ does not mean that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it. You know, the old saying, live like the devil from Monday to Saturday and go to church on Sunday and be a saint. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't cut it. 
That's not living by grace. That's living by stupid. (laughs) My wife says I should never say stupid from the pulpit, so I'm not going to. (laughs) Set free. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Why would anyone want to give that up? Why would anybody want to go back to whatever, living according to the law? Why would anybody want to take a chance on losing that freedom? I don't get it. A man who robbed a bank 10 years ago was sentenced to 70 months in a federal penitentiary. But he liked it so much that when he was released, he actually went and committed another crime so that he could go back to prison and live on the taxpayer's tab. Danny Villegas walked into a federal bank uh, in Florida and told the teller, walked up to the teller and said, I'm robbing the bank. So why don't you call the police right now? Go ahead and call the police. Go on, go call the police. And he went and sat down on a couch in the lobby of the bank and waited for the police to arrive. I mean, how dumb is that? What would cause a person to do that? That's just dumb. It's about as dumb as giving up on your freedom by turning your back on the gospel of salvation by grace alone, right? That's dumb. Why would anybody want to do that? That's dumb. And yet so many people do. You become a prisoner all over again when you turn your back on the gospel of grace and you you start to walk according to the rules and regulations of, of the law or the rules and regulations of some church or some group somewhere. You, 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 you turn your back on grace. Why would anybody want to do that? That's a dumb thing to do. Because when you do that, you lose your freedom and you lose your treasure. Verse 2 of Galatians 5. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He doesn't mince words here. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So, Paul is worried that these baby believers in Galatia are going to slip back into slavery to the law. He's worried about that. If you accept circumcision, he says, if you turn back to legalism, if you trust in man's regulation and and man's religious system, if you try to earn your salvation by works, then you're going to slip back into slavery and all the riches and all the spiritual fortune and all the treasure that is available to you in Christ will be lost to you. So anybody 
Anyone who goes back under the yoke of the law faces fatal consequences. For one thing, Christ will be of no advantage to you, he says in verse 2. We will, have, we will no longer have anything to gain from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ if we go back to working for our salvation. Because if you can work for your salvation, if there's stuff that you can do, then Jesus died for nothing, right? That's the point that Paul is making. Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you, if you want to go back and, and live according to the law, then you don't need Jesus. The next fatal consequence of basing salvation on our own work is that we become debtors to the law of God. Verse 3 says, if that's how you want to live, then you become obligated to the law of God, not just part of the law, not just the part that relates to circumcision or the part that relates to this aspect, but every, all of it, all of it, the whole law. You become obligated to keep the entire law of God. Every jot and tittle, every regulation, every rule, everything. You have to keep everything. And the point of this, of course, is that no human being has ever been able to keep all the law. Only Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled the law. So that when we are in Christ and Christ in, is in us, the law is fulfilled. The yoke of the law is unbearable to anybody but Jesus. In fact, the very purpose of the law, the reason the law was given was to drive people to the cross, to make us aware that there is nothing in us. We, we do not have the capacity or the power or the ability to keep the law. We need something greater than the law. Who's greater than the law? Jesus. Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the law. Jesus is enough. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? And the final fatal consequence of working for your salvation is that you're cut off from the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 says, You are severed from Christ. What an awful prospect. You have fallen away from grace. I think Paul is not discussing here the question of whether a, a genuine believer in Jesus Christ can lose his or her salvation. I think he's simply trying to make a point that people who are now truly seeking to be justified by the law must not have a relationship with Jesus and have fallen away from the grace that was offered and available to them to get into a relationship with Jesus. And, and now they really have no place. They have no spot at the table. There, there's no place reserved for them in the church of true believers in Jesus Christ. They've fallen from grace. Awful prospect. And true faith is, is living and, and it's active and it produces love. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So, folks, when, when, when you abandon this doctrine of salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you lose big, like really big. You lose your freedom in Christ you lose your treasure in Christ, and you lose your direction in life. You lose your freedom, your treasure, and your direction. 
I draw your attention to Galatians 5 and 7. You were running well, Paul says. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This is not from God. It's not from Jesus. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Then he goes on to say, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And there's that phrase again. So he's obviously worked up. Uh, there's, there's so much at stake here. There's such a big prize at the end of this race. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I, I think the Apostle Paul must have been a, a fairly big sports fan because he uses illustrations from sort of the Olympic Games, so to speak. He uses, he uses references to gymnastics. He, he uses especially track and field. You were running well. So he uses these analogies. And I, I have it on good authority that if he were around today, he would definitely be a Toronto Blue Jays fan. You know, right? He'd be wearing blue and white. Am I right? Yeah, that's what I said. Toronto Maple Leafs, exactly. Yeah, there you go. You were running well, he says. Who hindered you? Literally, who cut in on you? That's literally what that word means. Who cut in on you? Well, people can only cut in if you really let them cut in. Like the guy at the Tim Hortons drive-thru today. You know, the double drive-thru? Where, you know, this guy orders and this guy orders and then this guy drives forward and this guy drives forward? I'm, I'm behind this guy who orders and I'm sitting here and two cars go ahead of me instead of one. He cut in on me. Did I let him cut in? Yeah, because I didn't want to scrape my bumper up. You know, I let him cut in. He was determined to cut in. I let him cut in. You were running well. Who hindered you? Who did you let cut in on you and, and so that you don't obey the truth? It certainly isn't God holding you back, he says. This persuasion is not from Jesus. You were running so well, Paul says. You, you accepted the word. It was implanted in your heart. You believed in Jesus. You were filled with the Holy Spirit. You got the joy of the Lord. Now, why are you letting people cut in on you? Maybe I could ask some of you the same question. Why are you letting people cut in on you so that you don't obey the word of truth? It certainly isn't from God. It's not the persuasion of Jesus to do that. You were running so well, but you allowed the Jewish teachers from Jerusalem to cut in on you on on your race towards spiritual maturity. We're running this race towards spiritual maturity, and and these people are trying to cut in on us. And, And so we get distracted, right? We start to lose focus, right? We, we, we get sidetracked. We, we lose our direction. Pa- Paul is here to say, don't forsake the path of faith for the road of works so that you don't obey the truth anymore. It happens to people all the time. This is not just a 21st century invention of the church. It's not just in the 21st century that people are getting distracted 
and not showing up or, 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 or quitting on their discipleship group or whatever. They're losing focus. They're getting distracted. They're getting sidetracked. But that's been, that's, that's been happening for 2,100 years. And verse 9 gives another warning. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And of course, that, that concept appears in other places in the Gospels. What, what does he mean here? It could mean that a, a few, it just, it just takes a few leaders in the church who, are, who, are, who have a legalistic mentality to take the whole church down that, down that road, which is dangerous. Or it could mean that a legalistic self-reliance in one area, like circumcision, can ruin your whole life. It affects your whole life. We're good at compartmentalizing. Oh, you know, a little bit of sin in this area is not, not such a big deal. You know, I still go to church, and I still give a loony, at least a loony, every week in the, in the offering. So, you know, it, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Not necessarily. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the fact is, however you look at that, they were, they were hindered from obeying the truth by the false teachers who were spouting deceptive doctrine and cutting in on their race towards spiritual maturity. But Paul says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that, that you will take no other view. Oh, he says, encouraging them. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty. So he shares his confidence in these new believers in Galatia that they will agree with his letter and actually turn away from their pursuit of legalism and the the distraction and distortion of the gospel. So the Galatians had not lost their way completely. They weren't, weren't, you know, 99 yards down the field. They, they They were getting dangerously close to the fire, yes, and they were walking a little too close to the edge of the cliff. Yes, but they'd not lost their direction completely. They were troubled. Yes, they were unsettled. Yes. And maybe some of you are feeling a bit the same way today. Troubled? Spiritually? Un- unsettled? Spiritually? Maybe someone or something is distracting you. Maybe you're losing your focus on Christ. Uh, maybe you've become uh, too preoccupied with your, with your career or, or your education. Or, or, or yes, maybe even your family. You've been sidetracked by friends who keep saying, hey, you know, every Friday night, hey, come on, oh, let's, let's go do this, go do that. And you, you're, you're sidetracked by them. You're they're, they're, they're moving sideways. They're not moving forward. So you're distracted by them. Or maybe you're troubled by finances. You, you just can't get your head out of the sand spiritually because you're worried every single day about money or getting more, making more, so you can spend more and have less. Or, or maybe... Maybe you've allowed sports to become too important. And the tournaments, the hockey tournaments, the karate tournaments, the whatever tournaments on Sunday are keeping you at least, you know, three Sundays out of four away from God's people and 
simple worship and passionate prayer and strong teaching. And, 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 and they've cut in on you. I don't know what it may be, but some of you are unsettled and troubled. Why let this stuff cut in on you? There's so much at stake and so much to lose. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Well, it's just this season, Pastor. You know, we'll see you again when hockey season is over. Oh, oh yeah, but then there's baseball, right? And, and then there's whatever, croquet. <laughs> and then there's my knitting class, you know, which can only meet on Sunday mornings. And, you know, then it's over. Totally distracted. Totally sidetracked. Why would you give up on your freedom like that? You can't save yourself. You can't rescue yourself. You can't just work your way out of this mess. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need to trust Him. You need to obey Him. You need to follow Him. You need to put Jesus first in your life again. Not... Not in the back seat. Give him, give, him the, give him the wheel. Sit in the passenger seat or get in the back seat or better yet in the trunk and let him guide your path and let him drive the car of life and let him lead you and let him guide you. Put Jesus first. Go with God. Stop, stop flirting with the world and start walking with God. And do it today. And do it every day. Every morning when you're your peds hit the floor, first thing, Lord Jesus, I'm living this day for you. This is your day. Lead me, guide me, Holy Spirit. I'm your guy, I'm your gal. I'll do whatever it takes. I love this quote by John Piper. The death of Jesus on the cross for our sin is such a radical indictment of our sinful condition and such a complete satisfaction of God's justice that any attempt to save ourselves except through faith is a naive compliment to ourselves and an insult to the fullness of Christ's atonement. Out of the 26,639 people who completed the Boston Marathon this year, Fran Drods, 72 years old, finished 26,639th. She finished dead last. The roaring crowds, the official coronations were long over. They were still tearing down the barricades and the grandstands when Fran crossed the finish line at 8.45 p.m., Hours before, her 76-year-old husband had called the police thinking that she made a wrong turn or something on the route or maybe was injured somewhere along the way. But you know, the real story is not in her coming in dead last, but rather the real story is about who she was running for. You see, Drods had run in more than 75 marathons in her 72 years of life. And this time, she was running the Boston Marathon 
for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. 72 years old, and she's running for cancer. Question is, who are you running for? Who are you running this race for? If you're running for Jesus, then you need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. If you're running this race for Jesus, then keep your eyes fixed on him and forget about everything else. Forget about the friends who call on Friday night or Saturday night and say, hey, let's go get jacked up. I got a bottle of Jack. Let's do it. Uh-uh. No, I'm, I'm, I'm living for Jesus. And that ought to make a difference. If you're running for Jesus, then keep your eyes fixed on Jesus or, 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 or else you, you, look, you could lose everything. You you could lose your freedom, and you could lose your treasure, and you could lose your direction. Why would you want to do that? And it's not about who comes in first. Folks, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. One day at a time. One foot in front of the other. Day after day, year after year. This is not a sprint. We're in it for the long haul. Amen? We're in it to finish the race. And it's important who we are running for. It's about living for Jesus. It's about walking by faith. It's about finishing well. Are you with me? Are you in? Then let's run together. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to praise you this morning and bless you. You are the Abba, Father. And we thank you for the hope that we have in your word today. Lord, through Jesus, we've already been ransomed and redeemed and rescued, and we thank you for that. We've been bought out of sin and condemnation and death. And now we, we just rest in your exuberant welcome and eternal embrace. Praise God, we're no longer our own. We're yours, and you love us just as much as you love Jesus. Thank you for that. Father, all forms of slavery, you know, the ones we've generated, the ones we've inherited, and uh, those brought upon us by others, all of them broken in Jesus Christ. Help us now to live in freedom for Jesus, to love our Jesus, to wait in hope for Jesus to come again. Oh God, help us to live well and finish well by Your grace and for Your glory. Whether we're, we're newly wed or nearly dead, we want to live out our freedom for Jesus Christ, for His glory and for His honor. For freedom, Christ has set us free, the Scripture says. So we will stand firm. And we will not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Father, we cannot wait to experience the blessed day when all sorrow and sighing and brokenness and badness and dying and death will be gone forever. Hallelujah. A thousand times over. Indeed, Lord Jesus, You comfort us like like no one else does. 
So, so forgive us for foolishly seeking our consolation in anyone or anything else than Jesus. Fill our hearts, our hearts so full of your beauty and so full of your bounty that we can't help but overflow for the benefit of our neighbors and our family. For this we pray in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.